This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 13th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. It wasn't just infrastructure week that was sidelined by the current political intrigue. Last week's hearings on warrantless surveillance of Americans also had to take a back seat. Democratic Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii believes that's a shame. The rights of Americans are implicated by warrantless surveillance. Protecting those rights is a core function of Congress. I spoke with Gabbard about the surveillance authorized by Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act and other topics yesterday. There's a lot that is included within Section 702, but I think what has brought so much concern from people like myself as well as colleagues from both sides of the aisle and people at home is Section 702 has allowed for um, massive government-led exploitation of personal privacy, allowing them to collect uh, online communications and specifically emails for everyday Americans. And this is this has been the most concerning element of it. Now, uh, I looked at a fact sheet uh, presented by the Permanent Select Committee in the House, and uh, they have some, uh, I think, carefully chosen words reg- related to uh, Section 702. They say that uh, bulk collection authorized by Section 702 cannot be used to target, and I think that's a very important word, target Americans. Is that true? Uh, again, those those carefully uh, chosen words um, are used intentionally, and you know there are um, there are loopholes and workarounds that that should be concerning. And and basically, what Section seven hundred two and and actually the NSA recently made an announcement of a practice that they would stop, uh, which was they would stop collecting internet communications that merely mention a foreign intelligence target under Section 702, which is what they call about communications. But what those about communications would have allowed or did allow uh, them to do is to sweep up emails that I may have sent or you may have sent or anyone would have sent with mere mention of someone who they quote unquote are targeting. So the the House Select Committee uh, makes this, draws this distinction out even further. And they said that Section 702 uh, would allow the feds to obtain emails or communications of foreigners in foreign countries who will maybe plotting harm to the United States, but it does not allow for Americans to be targeted. So again, the, if the, you're saying that the NSA has decided or announced rather that it's not going to be collecting some communications, which may be between one American and another American all on American soil, uh, what would prevent them from changing that policy back without uh, fanfare? That is my concern. Simply because the NSA has announced that they would stop this practice of of uh, collecting these sweeping emails of Americans who may or may not be a target, but who may merely happen to mention the name of someone that the NSA is targeting, uh, that policy could very easily be switched back uh, today, tomorrow, in a year, 10 years, or 20 years. Uh, and that's where legislation that I've introduced um, specifically would prohibit that policy change from happening again by codifying uh, that change and saying that, no, you will not be able to collect Americans' emails through this, quote unquote, about um, collection that they've been doing. And, and with federal agencies in general, uh, at any time, a policy can be announced or we're going to interpret a statute in such a way that we will now behave this way. Those aren't statutory changes. Those are just policy changes, and they can change with the change of administration, as we've seen with the Trump administration and the Department of Justice and various other departments. Uh, Those are much less serious reforms than 
a statutory change. That's right. You know, I don't know that you can even call it a reform uh, by someone merely making an announcement that they're going to change a practice does not uh, prohibit any future, as you said, administration or administrator from making another policy change in the future. Uh, and with something like this, this isn't a, a minor tweak. Uh, this is something that uh, would either allow or disallow uh, our government agencies, the NSA specifically, to be able to collect Americans' emails. And that's something that at our core with the Fourth Amendment and our Constitution uh, should not be allowed to happen. So what are the must-have reforms in uh, a Section 702 reauthorization? Um, there are a number of them that I know the Judiciary Committee is looking at. Uh, I don't sit on that committee, but I'm working closely with my colleagues who are very um, a much much a part of this. But a core component uh, is what I introduced my legislation on. The um, uh, let me see where it is here. What I call the Puka Act, uh, and I called it the Puka Act. Puka is something in in Hawaii that is slang for a hole. <laughs> this is a gaping hole uh, in our policy, and specifically, it would state in statute that the NSA would no longer be able to collect these about communications, plain and simple. Changing gears just a little bit. Is it your sense that Democrats broadly don't want to talk about foreign policy? <laughs> I mean, you obviously are not afraid of it, but is is that a sense that you have? Uh, you know, the sense that I have is that unfortunately we see throughout uh, the changes of political winds, the changes of administrations, um, both Democrats and Republicans become more selective of what kinds of foreign policy they talk about and how critical, how, how willing they are to be critical of those foreign policies. If, if someone from their team is in the White House, they're not going to criticize certain things. They're not going to criticize certain troop deployments or certain actions related to foreign policy. But if it's a member of the other team, the other political party in the White House, then they start raising all kind of hay on the very same thing that they refused to be vocal or critical on before. And I think as a veteran, as a soldier, this is a disservice to our country. It's a disservice to the American people who expect that we, no matter what kind of elected official you are, we're in this job to serve all Americans, to serve all of our constituents. And we shouldn't be putting those partisan politics before that service. The following issue is not on the table, but it's always been my understanding that part of the deal with compromise in Congress is that uh, in exchange for some increase in military spending, uh, Republicans are willing to give some more social spending, some more social insurance spending. And that has always been what compromise has looked like. If it were on the table, and of course, President Trump doesn't seem uh, interested in reducing military spending, if a reduction in military spending, a reshuffling of some of the priorities that we have uh, put our military toward into something that is more explicitly focused on defense, would Democrats broadly be willing to give up some of that other spending in order to get reductions in military spending? That is a compromise in the opposite direction. Look, I don't presume to speak for all Democrats, certainly not in the well, House of then Representatives. What about, what about you? I think we've got to look at this in a responsible way across the board. And I think it's it's somewhat irresponsible to kind of paint this with a broad brush saying, well, I'm going to reduce defense spending if you give me some of this spending. I think across the board, 
yes, in the Department of Defense, as well as in some of our other federal agencies. There are programs that can and should probably be cut. There's fat that can and should be trimmed. Uh, and there are other programs that may be very effective and may be accomplishing a, a positive purpose that perhaps need to be expanded. So I think having that hard look, the DOD in particular has not been audited, and I've been a vocal proponent for that audit to occur because too often we hear about billions and billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars sometimes, being spent without being accounted for. Uh, so that's the kind of hard work and close eye we need to take across the federal budget, including the Department of Defense. Is a uh, audit of the Pentagon on the table anywhere? I've supported legislation uh, and language to uh, put forward an audit. The, the Pentagon actually has a deadline. We'll see if they'll meet it to conduct an audit. Um, leaders within the Pentagon have been uh, somewhat plain spoken about how hard an audit is. Uh, but it is our job in Congress as the oversight entity for the executive branch to make sure that they fulfill that obligation and we're continuing to push them to do so. What are your general impressions of the uh, Saudi arms deal that uh, President Trump announced a few weeks ago? Generally, I was very strongly opposed to it. I remain strongly opposed to it for a number of reasons. Uh, to, to make an arms deal with a country that has been the number one exporter of of Wahhabi Salafi um, extremist ideology that is the ideology that's fueling terrorist groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda um, is counterproductive to the interests of our country and frankly to humanity in the world where you have these terrorist groups conducting these attacks. Um, to, con to, to have an arms deal with a country that um, is conduct is inserting itself into this civil war in Yemen and has having these attacks on civilians in, in a war that Congress has not authorized the American government to be involved with uh, is not something that we should be doing. Uh, what to speak of the lack of um, a reflection of, of any kind of democratic principles within the Saudi society. I mean, there's a whole list of reasons. The first one being, I think, the most important and the most relevant to the challenges that we're facing today and the threats that we continue to face from these terrorist groups who attacked us on 9-11. Why do you think uh, Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states have cut ties with Qatar? Uh, their, their reasons for saying so have been made publicly. Uh, I think that there is a longstanding um, history of divisiveness between the two countries. Uh, I think it is uh, ironic to hear Saudi Arabia calling out Qatar for supporting terrorists when Saudi Arabia has been doing the very same thing. So if we're going to hold people um, to a certain standard, uh, that should be applied across the board. Going back to surveillance for a moment here, do you think that this Russiagate scandal and its various dimensions has helped sensitize any of your colleagues in the House about the potential mismanagement of surveillance programs? Sadly, no. Uh, I think if you look at the entire situation with Russia, it's become a largely politicized one, again, uh, where partisan lines have been drawn. Uh, for example, the uh, Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board it's, it's the oversight board that exists that's supposed to provide accountability uh, on behalf of the American people to make sure that various government agencies don't abuse um, certain provisions that were passed in the Patriot Act 
uh, as unfortunately we've seen in certain circumstances. Congress is not paying attention to the fact, nor is the administration for that matter, to the fact that this oversight board has one member on it. It cannot function with one member. There should be five appointed members. I introduced legislation to strengthen the um, authorities for this oversight board, but we can't even talk about strengthening those authorities when it is dysfunctional with one guy talking to himself. And in fact, just last week when uh, several members of the Trump administration or were supposed to be talking about surveillance authorities. They ended up talking about James Comey, and they ended up talking about uh, this Russia issue. And that's that's the problem here: is there's so much noise and there's so many distractions that the very real challenges that uh, we are facing, many of them have been longstanding, often get thrown to the wayside because of. Uh, the shiny thing that's catching people's attention on that day. What are the stakes, though, of of not getting this investigation uh, of potential Russian interference in the U.S. election? What are the stakes of not getting that right and not understanding what the lesson is, particularly in the next few years? I think it comes down to the American people's ability to trust and have faith um, in our government uh, and in our democracy. Uh, ensuring that these investigations that are occurring, both the ones in Congress as well as the uh, independent counsel that's been appointed, um, the credibility has to be there and the transparency must be there for the American people to um, be able to have faith in the outcome of these investigations, whatever that may be. How much faith do you have in the likely outcome of either uh, congressional investigation or the or the special counsel? Uh, it remains to be seen. I think the special counsel, uh, Mueller, was that was a, an important and good step uh, that, that that occurred. I know that he's still building his team, but um, if that continues down the path as, as we expect, that should, that, should, uh, that should provide a positive outcome in the sense of a credible, a credible outcome. Uh, and I think the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, more so than the House, has been able to remain very bipartisan uh, in their investigation and in um, uh, the questions that they've been able to ask. And if they remain down that path, then I think also uh, we will have a credible outcome. Tulsi Gabbard is a Democratic U.S. representative from Hawaii. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.